hey, Tom Rhodes Radio gives Lucy Pohl's High Hitler Show five stars. That's my review. Whoa. Welcome to the show, Lucy Pohl. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Tom Rhodes. Uh, your story, your show, I mean, which is basically your life story, um, I mean, it's fascinating. I, I've loved it. I've seen it twice. Uh, I, I think one of the best shows I've seen at the festival. Thank so um, for people unaware of the poll circus magic, <laughs> you, you, you're from Germany originally. Yes. And you grew up loving Hitler. <laughs> yeah. So I was born in Hamburg, Germany. And um, my mom's Jewish. My dad's German. And um, when I was growing up, there was, you know, my parents are post-war kids. So there was a lot of talk about Hitler and arguments and, you know, the artists um, dealing with this identity crisis that the post-war kids in Europe had or all have, basically. Um, so there was a lot of talk of Hitler, um, and I picked up on it as a little, as a wee lassie, as they say here <laughs> in Edinburgh. And, um, and I had this fascination with and for him, and I used to uh, draw him all the time, but, you know, the title of my show is Hi Hitler, and I got it wrong. I thought that people were saying hi instead of Heil, because <laughs> I was a little kid, and I, you know, obviously that wasn't in my universe. I didn't know what the fuck Heil. But for um, a Jewish girl right. from Germany, it's hilarious. Right, exactly. That you would lock um, on to the most despicable human exactly. being the, Ger- the Jewish race has ever encountered. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you and know. And you're drawing pictures of him, and you're from this artsy family. Yeah, and you know, when I was younger, I remember when I'd be sad, or like, I had to go to the dentist a lot, because I had black teeth when I was young. My baby teeth were black, and my mom would always put on the great dictator for me after, um, you know, or when I was sad. So that was kind of like omnipresent. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, um, my family is this crazy art, artsy family. Everybody's an artist or an actor in my family. Basically, everybody except my grandmother, who's a cognitive psychologist. Actually. Hey, mm-hmm. wow. The connections yeah. just keep on continuing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so, yeah, I would draw him and my parents always loved it. So, like, they encouraged it in a way because they thought it was so funny that their little girl. And, She's so cute. Yeah. And then the other thing that... that added to that was that I was like this little dictator when I was a little kid like I was super like the boss right that's what I say in my show my parents used to call me little Nero Nero is like the fiercest dictator that Italy ever had um so I was this like very bossy um dictator kind of character so I guess that's subconsciously maybe that's why I liked him too you know um and that was I mean, until I guess until we moved to the states. I was eight when we moved to New York, and um, and then people, you know, the other kids in my class in in New York would be like, "Oh, you're German? Are you a Nazi? Are you a Nazi?" And I guess that's when it started to kind of like become a reality of you know him being evil and that whole thing not being so funny. <laughs> Did you really want to go as Hitler? At yeah, in absolutely. When you're a little that's a that's like illegal in Germany. That's right? a one hundred percent true story. It's illegal to say Heil Hitler. It's illegal to say anything, you know, condoning Hitler. Um, it's illegal to sing that um, that uh, verse of the national anthem that they used to use, Deutschland, Deutschland über alles. You know, that's out. Nobody uses that anymore. Um, and if you do sing it in public, it's illegal. You can get arrested. Wow. Yeah. Um, but that's 100% true. My mom asked me, what do you want to be for carnival this year? And I said, Hitler. And she was like, um, I don't think that's a good idea, Lucy. Maybe something else. And then I literally said, fine, I'll be a spoon then. Because that, and that's so funny. Like, that's so, like, for me... That really, you know, represents and explains what was going on in my brain. A spoon and Hitler was kind of like the same thing for me. You know, I was like, all right, fuck it. I'll be a spoon then. No problem. I won't be Hitler. <laughs> um, and then when I was eight, we I went to Portugal with my grandmother. And I and we went into the store and they had all these figurines of Hitler, of, of dictators in like silly poses making fun of them. And I picked up a Hitler figurine of him, you know, doing the salute with his hat pulled over his eyes and his pants falling down so his ass is out in the in the back. So it's making fun of him, obviously. And I brought that back as the only thing that I brought back from Portugal for my parents. And, um, and we had it for a long time. We still have it. Uh, and in New York, I would always hide it because I would think that my friends would think that we're Nazis because they couldn't get that it was a joke, you know. 
So, yeah, it's my past with with little Adolf. <laughs> well, I told, I told you this the other night, and I could very well be wrong, but I had heard or read many years ago that Hitler took that mustache from Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, that, that he was emulating, and Chaplin was pissed, and that was one... Um, uh, imaginative spark for him doing the great dictator. Uh, I never knew that, and that blew my mind. I could be wrong. I hope it's true. I don't even want to look it up because let's just say that's true. Right. I like that. Well, I um, found that even if you're wrong, if you say things with a certain amount of authority, people believe you. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, being the bossy dictator person that I am, I know all about that. Um, what but, do you think about the closing speech in The Great Dictator? Uh, what do you mean, what do I think of it? It's amazing. <laughs> How could you not think it's amazing? That whole movie is just genius. Um, I think that a lot of comedians, though, have this fascination with Hitler because he's a very comedic character, right? Yeah, I mean, God. obviously. Yeah. My dad, there's this funny story. One nut vegetarian? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know the, the movie The Downfall? It was... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It came yeah. out, like, maybe six years ago. It was yeah. nominated for an Oscar and everything. My dad's good friends with the guy who played Hitler. Um, That's <laughs> So he went to see the movie in a movie theater in Germany, and um, and he just started laughing his ass off, you know, because he's seeing his friend fucking act like this, you know, like... You know, like these... And so he's laughing hysterically, and my dad has this very loud laugh, and they kicked him out of the movie theater for laughing too loud at the movie. It's so German. Like, it only happened in Germany. They were like, excuse me, you have to leave. <laughs> this is You're not laughing a comedy, too sir. hard. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? It's so funny. I love that story. Mm. Well, yeah, I told you, you know, I think uh, Hitler should have been, like, named the greatest entertainer of the last century, because right. no matter... I'm flipping the channels. I always stop if it's Nazis or Hitler or something. That's captivating. Right, absolutely. And that's that story that I think I told you the story with the little figurine where one time this cable guy came to our house. He was black. And I was like, Mom, we have to hide the Hitler figurine. Like, if he sees it, he's not going to get it. And he's going to think we're Nazis and he's going to fucking flip out. We can't have that. So we hid it behind a curtain. Of course, he comes in and makes a beeline for that corner draws the curtain back, sees the figurine. I'm like mortified, you know, like, oh my God, you know, time stops, everything goes into slow motion. And he picks it up, looks at it, and he's like, oh shit, I love this guy, man. My people need a guy like that. This guy knew how to talk to people, man. My people need somebody like that. He knew how to give speeches. And me and my mom were like, oh my God, he's fucking Nazi. Now what you guys want for that? Yeah, right? Seriously, it's so funny. But you know, Mel Brooks, I mean, there's so many comedians that that springtime for Hitler. Yeah, we're fascinated. It's fascinating. And you know, I think we talked about this too. There's pictures of him rehearsing his gestures. Oh yeah, yeah. He trained with actors and like really was into theater. Yeah, trying out different poses, you know, and trying out what works. And in that sense, you're right. He was one of the greatest entertainers. And I mean, you can't, if you watch it now, of course it's fucked up and of course it's painful. And you know, especially if you're Jewish, you think like, ah shit, you know, that's like, some real shit. A lot of my family was killed, you know, my extended yeah. family. But if you watch him, it's fucking hilarious. What is he doing? You know, <laughs> like these gestures and how he rolls his R's and how he looks, where he looks. And it's just, it's incredible. So, yeah, I've been contemplating putting like a Hitler impersonation in the show. I actually wanted to start the show dressed as Hitler and do like a little dance, you know, like with the globe, <laughs> like that kind of a thing. But... It's just a 60-minute show. There's no time for costume changes. <laughs> um, do, you, do you think less of me because I didn't know who your fancy pants uncle was? <laughs> Not at all. I'm happy you didn't know who that fancy pants uncle, Bertolt Brecht, is because, um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, he has nothing to do with me really right I mean um, you told me what funny. did he he invented uh, he, breaking down the fourth wall well yeah Bertolt Brecht is like the father of um, alienation in theater Verfremdung it's actually for those of you listening that are theater nerds <laughs> the one person <laughs> um, that's a big thing you know like he um, basically invented the concept of breaking the fourth wall and and um, 
stylizing a performance to the point that it become it's so alienated that it's it becomes a mirror of society or of life, you know. So um, so it's not like when an actor like will turn to the audience and just start talking to them. Mm, no, that's part of it. Sure, yeah. But you know, you got to see this was in the like forties, you know, and um, theater was all about naturalism. Right. That was I mean, and, and in the States, theater is still very conservative in that in that sense that um, it's, about, you know, when, when it says in the script, he's frying an egg in the USA, they'll be fucking frying an egg on stage. Right. But so he flipped that, you know, kind of like Beckett and all those guys um, after him. He kind of flipped that and and he wrote the three penny opera. Which I'm sure you know. <laughs> really? No, what's the three penny uh, opera? Tom Rhodes, you're missing out on like. Um, <laughs> German theater was what I was into. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit international. Um, I've never three... had a woman walk on my back with stilettos, <laughs> all, that, all that fun German stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the kinky, fucked up German stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like Dieter, right? The Saturday Night Live yeah. character. See, now I know that. that there you go. <laughs> if Saturday Night Live had covered the Three Penny Opera, I'd be aware of it. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's um, it's uh, um, uh, a um, musical, basically, a musical theater piece that's set in a brothel. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, boring. Um, <laughs> no, the, not at all. The squishy it, stuff. And beautiful it's music. Kept alive Kurt Vile, you know, him and Kurt Vile, they, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard a lot of the songs. Mac the Knife. That's from the Three Bunny Uncle? Yeah. Oh, Mac the I Knife is the three. You know Mac the Knife. Of course. Of course, Everybody because he's a Bobby, badass. Bobby Darren. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mac the Knife. Yeah, Bobby Darren sings so many Kurt Vile songs. Yeah. Mm. So that's all three penny opera. It's pretty, pretty legendary stuff. No big deal. <laughs> uh, I love that your show starts with the your childhood in Germany, and that you're a massive David Hasselhoff fan. <laughs> yeah. Which you know, I think most people in the rest of the world, um, you know, find um, hilarious. The Germans were so nuts about David Hasselhoff. Yeah. And you've got this shirt that you're wearing at the beginning of the show, and it's such a great. <laughs> photo of David Hasselhoff where he's got two puppies. <laughs> yeah. I made that shirt. I just want to put that Oh, really? There. Yeah. It's such I, a great photo. I have photo. more. You can, you're welcome to have yeah. one. Because it's so great, you know, and um, you're a great actress. You can just see the, like, just a little, you know, eight-year-old girl just so into this, man. Yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, so, um, uh, David Hasselhoff, it's a cult, it's a pop culture phenomenon because nowhere else in the world were people as crazy about David Hasselhoff as in they were in Germany. Right. Saturday Night Live actually ended their show, I think, for like almost a year. Every show ended with the sentence, and now the question we're still wondering about, why do Germans like David Hasselhoff? And then they play music, you know. Um, <laughs> and that song that you sing, what, uh, you um, you want tenderness? I yeah, want... yeah, yeah, yeah. You you can say hello to tenderness. <laughs> I I can say goodbye to emptiness. Is that Was yeah. that like one of his biggest hits? Yeah, Crazy For You. Absolutely. <laughs> crazy For You. I've been looking for freedom. And Limbo were his biggest hits. And um, I actually will never forget when I was like six at, or seven at my prime David Hasselhoff time, my parents slept in my room. There was a futon and they would roll it out at night and sleep in there. And um, I wanted to hang up a David Hasselhoff poster in my room, right? But my mom, who's a musician and like a serious musician, you know, like intellectual serious, she wouldn't let me because she was like, I am not sleeping under a fucking David Hasselhoff poster. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I looked at her and I was like, and she said to me, she was like, and anyway, in a year, you won't even like him anymore. He's a disgusting old man. Like, why do you like him? You won't like him anymore. Trust me. And I looked at her and I was like, no. I will love David Hasselhoff. I will love him forever. And I'll never forget it because it kind of, um, it's kind of true. I kind of still love him in a funny way, you know, because he's such a funny character. Would you too. shit in your pants if you ran into it? I wouldn't shit in my pants, but it was, it would be like one of my biggest coups. Yeah. Because I also, I have this, um, 
I have this friend that I went to acting school with and we figured out that when we were six, we were both David Hasselhoff fans and both were at the same concert in Hamburg because I went to one of his concerts, which is also a funny story. So I wanted to go to this concert so badly. My mom didn't want to buy me tickets to go because she was like, I'm not going with you. My dad was like, come on, get her the fucking tickets. Just get her the tickets. So she was like, fine, but you have to go with her. And of course, my dad being like the crazy lunatic, he forgot all about it. And you had to buy these tickets months in advance. And um, the day came and she was like, tonight is the David Hasselhoff concert. You have to go with her. And my dad was like, no, I'm not going. I can't go. And she's like, you have to go. So he went with me and I sat on his shoulders for like three hours rocking out to David Hasselhoff. And my dad told me that after that, he had to get like two massages. He like slept for like two days because he was so head fucked from the concert. <laughs> and it was heartbreaking because you they sold these books at the concert and um, that had silver stars in the back, but if you got a book with a gold star, you could go up on stage with him oh. at the end of the show. And no. and I wanted it so badly. And of course, I told you earlier, I'm not. I don't have any luck when it comes to games. <laughs> um, I did not get the golden star, and that was. I'll never forget that too. Looking at those kids up on the stage and being like, oh, <laughs> I wanted to be up there with him, but he was here last year in Edinburgh. He had a show here. Did he really? Oh yes, I missed him. He'll come one sweet day. Um, I wish his family would stop putting out videos of him drunk on the floor. But you know, you know? what? I, what kind of daughter is that? Yeah, I can understand it though, because when my dad, you know, there's a bit in my show about my dad drinking really heavily, and um, one of the things I did, um, I would like terrorize him to stop drinking, right? And um, I, I started recording him because the next morning he'd always be like, no, I didn't do that. No, I didn't go crazy. Mm. No, 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 it's not, you know, alcoholics or people who drink a lot then try to like deny that they I know it well. were crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So I started recording it, recording him and playing it back to him the next morning. This was before the internet, thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Before the internet. So when I saw that David Hasselhoff video, in a way, I was like, I can kind of understand her because it's fucking rough as a kid, you know? Um, you you see, I don't, I mean, I don't know about David Hasselhoff, but my dad, he's such a great, amazing, cool, creative, funny guy. And I remember just being a kid and seeing him have his first glass of vodka like, um, you would always drink vodka on the rocks or whiskey sours or five bottles of wine. Um, but I remember just seeing him have that first glass and knowing, like, it's over now. You know, now it's going to get horrible and, and mm. disgusting and terrible. So I fought him really hard. Like, I made him sign contracts. I, like, yelled at him. You know, I would never give up. I, I hid his liquor, you know. So when I saw that video... It's fucked up, but in a way, David has love's daughter. I feel for you. <laughs> Invite me over for dinner with David. <laughs> um, no, I kind of felt for her. Like, I understood that desperation of trying to just be like, I'll do anything to make him stop, you know? Well, what I thought was funny about your show, you know, is, you, you know, you always felt like an alien through your life and that, you know, you, you had this um, wild artistic family and that you longed for this, like, you know, normalcy of, you know, the, the families you mentioned, who the mom had the dinner at the same time every day. And uh, I'm watching this going, God, that's, you know, I wished my family was like lunatic, uh, artistic, free thinkers, you know? So I guess everybody wants the exact opposite of what they grew up with. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, my sister was never like that. My sister always had crazy friends and stuff like that. And it took me a while to understand that. I, I always had these boring friends, you know, that were like from like really normal. And I never understood that it was that reaction, the counter reaction, you know. But um, but yeah, of course you long for the opposite of what you have. Everybody says that to me. They're like, oh, I always wish that I had crazy parents and stuff. And it's Drinking not like... wine, talking about world events and <laughs> philosophy and yeah. art and yeah. plays. I mean, there was so much craziness. I remember one night... Um, at this actress's house, Barbara Sukova, who's, do you know Robert Longo, the painter? Oh. Amazing painter. Um, they're married. Anyway, so um, one night they were all drinking and they ended up getting so drunk and thinking that it was hilarious to put um, suppositories in each other's asses. Oh. 
So they started doing that and taking Maybe pictures of it. Maybe this wasn't the family for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like that was totally normal, you know, like completely. I've got a great normal. idea. Everybody yeah. drop your pants yeah, and exactly. stick your asshole in there. That was air. completely normal. <laughs> Um, so I was, I had this like fascination, like real fascination. I felt so like, I, oh, I loved it. I loved being with these people that were so normal and, and you know, that where everything was so clear and, and easy. And I still kind of have that in a way. I, I catch myself, you know, still being like, oh, wow, you guys like have family functions, you know, and everybody knows what to do and it's very clear and you're all like, in your little, you know, characters that you play. And it's my dad, for example, family was like a big taboo, you know, um, because my dad grew up with this like horrible mother that, you know, beat him and, and this like kind of horrible situation. They were very poor. So for him, like family was always like the worst thing. So I remember him when my um, mom's aunt came over <laughs> from Israel, we had never met her. He hid in our room and we had to pretend like he wasn't home and then like I'd go back and just I'd be bringing like, some fried chicken in the room here basically and I'd go back and be like Papa she's okay she's really funny you can come out and be like don't take it I'm not here <laughs> like a real phobia you know and he'd get into huge fights with my grandma there's this one epic fight where they they fought so hard that he she she took a cake that she had baked for us and threw it out of the window and then he threw like a tv out of the window and like because he had this like crazy phobia and fear of family and and i guess like mother figures and stuff so that was always a thing for me too like these like perfect little families you know where you know things are just like in a little dollhouse you know where you move around the little furniture and the dolls and everything's like neat and organized and perfect yawn <laughs> not for I me i like how you told me that uh we were talking about bad reviews uh sometime last week and you said that your dad had gotten some bad reviews and there'd be like fist holes in the wall and yeah. stuff mm-hmm. absolutely and i'm sitting there listening to this going wow i might be your dad <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember always when and crying to you <laughs> yeah when he'd have a play opening you know he'd run to the store he'd buy all the newspapers and he'd read all of them and then if they were bad he'd freak out and once when I was about nine or ten we already lived in New York and we came back I was staying with my best boring friend Nina and he had um, <clears throat> a play that came out and one of the big newspapers panned him like ripped him to shreds and I called the newspaper I was ten and I was like can I speak to Martin Maya whatever the fuck the reviewer's name was and they put me through to him <laughs> and I like went off on him I was like Klaus Pohl is the greatest writer in the whole entire universe like you're a fucking asshole fuck you and I hung up <laughs> yeah I wonder if that, that warms reviewer... my heart god yeah. if I have a kid one day I hope they would do that for me absolutely I'm you sure don't know what you're what. talking about <laughs> yeah I think every dad has a certain brand of humor my dad was hilarious you know and he had his faults and drinking and extracurricular women activities yeah um more like some of the funniest things your dad said or still says, like, you know, catchphrases. Oh, catchphrases. Or just funny wow. things. Um, my dad always says nine out of ten people are assholes. So we grew up with that mantra. <laughs> when people are like, why don't you trust people? I'm like, oh, because nine out of ten people are assholes. <laughs> um, what else does he say? My dad has this like very loud laugh. That's kind of his like um, signature thing. He laughs at everything and he always laughs like, <laughs> um, I remember once he came to see a movie, um, a horror movie that I'm in where I get my brains blown out, right? <laughs> they punch me and then they tie me to a chair and then they blow my brains out. And all my friends were at this <laughs> premiere of this movie and my dad was sitting in the back and my brains get blown out and he just <laughs> fucking goes into the biggest laugh. He's like, Wah! He just could not keep it together. He was laughing so hard and my friends still talk about it to this day. They're like, your dad is fucking crazy. <laughs> he like had a laugh attack when you got your brain blown out it's so funny um, but um and yeah I mean you know he always says that line from that Shakespeare line nothing is good or bad your thinking makes it so that's his like big yeah. thing you know 
Um, and now he's starting, he wants to learn Chinese. And so he always quotes like these Chinese proverbs and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's That's a funny good. dude. I wish you could meet him. He was I scared. would love to meet him. And if yeah. he does, if he's not like the character that you, uh, like where you do your hands no, when you totally do it, when he speaks. But you know, he doesn't drink anymore. Oh. Yeah. He stopped drinking from one day to the next. Um, he just, how long has it been? It's been like <coughs> probably over. 10, 15 years. Yeah, 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, he stopped drinking. He completely... <coughs> How did that affect his artistic output? Um, I think that his artistic output in general has gotten a little less angry. You know, he used to write very, Interesting. Because like, since I stopped drinking, I'm a lot more reasonable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I'm more reasonable. You fucking motherfuck me, assholes. <laughs> um, yeah, he's gotten tamer for sure. You know, he's gotten softer. I don't know if that's also that just comes with age, but uh, it did come with him um, not drinking anymore. Uh, and uh, other than that, I mean, he always did his thing. He's like, uh, you know, he comes from a very poor background. So for him, like being depressed or being lazy was never an option. You know, he was always like work, 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 work. And it's not really work. You know how it is like he needs it. If he doesn't write one day, forget it. You can't talk to him. He's like a horrible person, you know. So his his work has become a little kinder and softer, I guess, since he stopped drinking. But he, you know, it wasn't like the drinking was keeping him from from getting his work done, you know, like that other dude that we met that was like, if I wouldn't have stopped drinking, I would be a bum on the street. That wasn't the case with him. My mom never drank a drop of alcohol. That's she doesn't drink at all. Nothing. Yeah. Which is crazy. Do you know um, how many stories she had to hear over yeah, and over? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I can't believe it. I mean, she like, because that story, you know, um, with the coffee cup that I tell in my show where he's flirting with this costume assistant and she sits on his lap and then my mom grabs the coffee cup and throws it at my at the girl, she ducks, it hits my dad in the forehead and his head is split open. I mean, those were like the rare occurrences where she lost it, but usually um, she was pretty cool. There's one funny story where they um, were out at their usual spot and she went home early and my dad kept drinking and he didn't come home and my dad's a type one diabetic. Um, which means he has to inject insulin four times a day. And, and so she was really worried, you know. And <laughs> my mom is a feisty little little woman. Um, and she remembered, uh, no, actually she went to the market. Um, and, and so she was walking in the market buying stuff. And suddenly my dad approaches her or is walking like across the street with a dog <laughs> and a bag of like baguette and like, croissants and we don't have a fucking dog okay and my mom's like oh hi what the fuck are you doing and my dad's like oh da, 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 i'll be right back and you know bolts and so my mom remembers that once they were in that area and they drove by this woman's house this like gallerist or something like that that was at the bar that night so she drives there the door is open she goes in and there's a breakfast table set up and my dad is standing there with the dogs and the pastries and she's like, ah, she freaks out. He comes home with her. Uh, and the funny part about this story is that the guy who owns the bar, my dad told him the story and he was like, what would you have done? He's this Italian guy, Franco. And he was like, I would have, I would have thrown the dog in the sewer <laughs> and just been like, hey, I got us some pastries. <laughs> But yeah, so stuff like that happened a lot, I guess. And my mom dealt with a lot, a lot. I don't know how or why, or um, I don't know if I could have done that. But she's she's very feisty. I guess that you know, she never um, she never let go or you know ended it with him because they were. She knew that it he was just this eccentric or he is this eccentric guy and, you know he needed that type of stuff but yeah a lot of those stories a lot of women's stories <laughs> but then i have that you know section about the affair for me like i always thought we were this you know unit and we were like unified and my dad would never you know break that so when he had that affair and i found out about it that was like a 
you know, one of those growing up moments where where you, you that's see the a world. big uh, bucket of ice cold water yeah, when you realize exactly. you're Exactly. Parents are people and yep. do things that uh, people yeah, do. Exactly. I love that because my I found a card once in my room that some my dad went back to college uh, and it was some girl had written my dad this love letter thing and then so you find this letter that your dad was writing to some woman. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're having an affair, don't put the evidence in your child's room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically. What are trunks yeah. for? I know, right? Seriously. <laughs> you know, but then you always say if you're having an affair and you're not and it and it comes out, then you wanted it to, I guess. I yeah. But that was like a rough time too. My dad was drinking a lot then and and yeah, when I found that letter, I I remember just being so heartbroken and so angry. And I remember going to my best friend at the time, being like, I found this letter. And she was so cool. She was like, every fucking, every, all, all parents have affairs. Everybody does that. It's not a big deal. And I was like, what? No. What are you talking about? Um, and I did the same thing that I did with his drinking because I, I had this like dictator character. I totally fucking terrorized him. It's like, you're a fucking traitor. You know, I say in the show, I wrote, I wrote him a postcard. I love treason, but I hate the traitor, Napoleon quote. And I wrote him like postcards that had like the map of America on it. strong shit. Yeah. Um, I wrote him another one that had the map of America on it and said, love it or leave it. And like, I fucking terrorized him. I cut him off. Be like, I don't fucking want to talk to you. I was like 14, you know. Um, but it was rough. I mean, because that was like, you know, an affair. Like, it's different if it's like an, a longer thing that goes on than like a one night stand. And this was like a, a longer thing that was happening. But in retrospect, you know, it's all good. I'm happy that that happened because you, you learn stuff and you grow up and you kind of start seeing, like you say, your parents as, as people. Right. And then you, know? you live your life and things happen to you. Yeah. You know, um, my certain members of my family passed a lot of judgment on my dad. And I always thought instead of judge the guy, drink with him, hang out. It's right. much more fun. The yeah. jokes keep rolling that way. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. you know, I guess that's the enabler in me but uh <laughs> yeah for sure. you know but in your show that after the affair that's when you go to germany to mm. to study acting and stuff it wasn't that abrupt where you just terrorized your dad and then just disappeared out of his life no but i think that that was kind of like for me i really wanted to get the fuck out of there you know because like i say in the show at that time my dad was spending a lot of time in europe because so it was basically just me and my mom and my mom was totally heartbroken and she'd be crying all the time you know like i say like in a dark apartment i'd come home she'd be crying um and so my haitian boyfriend at the time watson (laughs) fortune that's his real name watson fortune watson fortune He said the great sentence. You he was could have so been Mrs. Fortune. I could have been Mrs. Fortune, yeah. Um, he said back then, it was so funny, he was like, your house is like Vietnam, and I have to rescue you. <laughs> <laughs> and you swooned. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, of course. Watson Fortune, oh my God. It's so funny because I thought he was my first love, and I thought he was the most beautiful man on earth, you know? And recently my mom was like, yeah, you know, we all, we were all like, yeah, it must be real love because he wasn't that good looking. (laughs) I thought he was so beautiful. He had these like Coolio dreads, you know, those like crazy dreads that stick out like that. Oh my God. I thought he was so amazing. And he was so funny. He's crazy. He called me up like a year ago. He's Haitian. And, um, but he's like a little kid and he called me up and he was like, I got to meet you. You got to meet me. We got to meet up. I'm like, all right, whatever, Watson, I'll meet you. So I meet him in, in Battery Park and he's like, I'm like, what's going on? What do you need to tell me? And he's like, yo, I'm Cuban, son. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Watson, you're Haitian. You don't even fucking speak Spanish. You're not Cuban. He's like, yo, I'm from Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> So it's actually not that funny. Um, before Guantanamo... He was pretending to be Haitian before? No. He's, no. he's Haitian. Okay. He's Haitian. He Before Guantanamo became this place to send terrorists right. or, or uh, 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 alleged terrorists, right? Um, refugee, like 
people from Haiti and refugees would get sent there. You know, they'd get picked up. Right, sea. out floating around. Out yeah, exactly. Sea. And they'd put them in Guantanamo. Uh, and so he he came over on a boat, basically, and got picked up and put in Guantanamo with his uncle. So now he had gotten this idea in his head that he's Cuban and he's from fucking Guantanamo and he was trying to sell me on this idea. And I'm like, Watson, you're crazy. You're not Cuban. Now he's Jewish. He converted. He married a Jewish woman. And he might be the only Haitian Jew on earth, I think. Maybe. Could be. Interesting. Wow. He's so funny. He's great. Mm. But you've got this, you know, your 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 German background, um, but there's something uh, so New York and street smart about you, and it's what I love about your show is in it's in the the tradition of one of my favorite one person performances of all time is uh, Eric Bogosian's mm. Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, and you do so many characters, and the and the the pacing of your show is so fantastic, and like. It just turns on a dime, like when you're doing that uh, Fabian guy, and then even your dad and your mom, and all the voices and different characters are fantastic. And that seems to me like, I mean, I'm not from the theater world, but like the kind of theater that I've always been attracted to was that kind of New York style of John Leguizamo's Freak yeah. and Eric Bogosian's Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Yeah, for sure. Those are like my biggest inspirations. So, I mean, you sure. must, that must have been like your Gerber baby food. You must have just <laughs> grown up being spooned uh, the best of New York yeah. performance. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, I was always like set on being an actor and I was always set on... on um, on doing what I do, um, but uh, so when I was growing up, like as a teen, I just go through time out, you know, and circle all the shows that I wanted to see, and uh, they still do it, but back then, even more so, you could just um, usher at places and then see the show for free, so you, you know, uh, rip the tickets and tell people where to sit, and then you saw the shows for free, so I'd go to see everything, 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 and you know, in New York, obviously, it's the best of the best, or the... The most cutting edge, you know, especially in the off-Broadway. So I saw a lot. I'll never forget going into this basement on St. Mark's. You know, the the re- the restaurant basements that where you pick up the... What are, what are those called? Uh, those, like, gates. Yeah, like the um, trap doors yeah, on the exactly. sidewalk. Yeah. And, you know, back in the days, there was performances happening everywhere in New York. In every nook and cranny. Now it's a little different because everything's so expensive. But... So there was a performance down there, and it was called um, Something Something Über Alles. That's, that's the name, Something Something Über Alles. And it was a one-man show about Hitler and the fact that he only had one nut. Um, <laughs> I would have paid to see that. Yeah, um, I was like 15. It opens up, he's got his pants off, he's just looking at his genitals. It was so fucking weird and fucking crazy and out there. But, um, but yeah, so I, I definitely grew up watching all that. But to be honest, and when I was a little kid, I'd always go into these like almost like trance like um, uh, uh, spells of performing in front of people. Like because my parents always took me everywhere they went. Um, and so I guess I'd get bored. And, and I went into these trances and just fucking did these monologues of crazy shit for the adults and they'd all be like what the hell is going on with this girl one time um it's like my parents always talk about it i held this monologue about a wart that (laughs) that is born in a toilet and then it comes out and it grows on a finger and then it jumps to another person's toe and then like this wart has kids and it went on for like 45 minutes and my mom told me that she had to like shake me and be like lucy stop stop like you're crazy or this other time we were at a restaurant there was this long table and i got up on the table and i started talking about how fat sorry my vagina is and i pulled down my pants and showed everybody and talked about like that i have a fat vagina and that i'm so upset i was like six that is so new york Uh, performance art it's in your dna but to be honest then and this is also this fits into this like thing of like fish out of water and wanting to belong and wanting to be normal because i wanted to be an actress right and so for a while i kind of fought this like comedy idea because 
I thought, you know, I had to be like this beautiful leading lady and I, you know, you had to be like, because that's a thing for women, women that are funny. It's kind of um, now, you know, there's more and more female comedians, but um, back in the 1800s when I was young, no, it sounds so stupid, Um, but you always have this like... um, dichotomy between like being funny and being like a leading beautiful yeah, like lady. Yeah, like the Terry Gar syndrome. She was hilarious and she that's all she got was comedic roles. She was probably a brilliant actress right. otherwise. Mm. So I kind of fought it for a while. Um, but definitely Eric Bogosian and John Leguizamo are my big heroes and I'm all about the characters and you know I have, I guess I have this, I just I, I can really pick up on people's expressions and and I have your I have the Tom Rhodes almost ready. <laughs> <laughs> I am waiting for the Tom Rhodes impression. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm all about. I saw Eric Bogosian recently in New York doing his 100 monologues. He did a, a small run of it at the Bank Theater, uh, Bank Street Theater, <laughs> and there was a lady. He's doing a monologue in the front row, and she takes out a box of hard candies. And it's fucking distracting. And he goes nuts. It was hilarious. He's like, oh, is it fucking hard candy time now? Is it hard candy time? All right. You know what? Fuck it. I'll just fucking wait. You know, this is what fucking pisses me off. It's fucking hard candy time. It's not a fucking chewing gum. Fuck you, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm just fucking standing here doing a fucking monologue for you. Fuck this shit. And everybody was like, but, you know, that's what's great about him, too. And he has this monologue about an actor who goes on this like crazy tangent about you know I'm uh, auditioning and then getting that part and then make it you know having his big break and then he's in the limo and he's going to the big movie premiere and everybody you know wants to take pictures of him and he's rich and he has all this money and he has all this money because he fucking deserves it because he's been working so hard you know and that was like a thought that I think is so amazing that like people think they deserve shit you know what I mean and I really realized, like, through that monologue, like, nobody deserves shit. Nobody gets what they deserve. You know what I mean? So I think there's so much power in these characters because, you know, you you see people that you know, and it might be funny and a caricature, but it, you know, really, through their voice, you understand shit that you wouldn't understand in the same way if it was prose or you know like a play acted out you know what i mean if you see a person jump between these characters it suddenly things become so clear you know because it's fast and it's so you know what i mean yeah does that make sense but i think it's really it's really brave like i don't i don't think many actors would think to do a one person show about their life i mean that you're influenced by all these different sources and, and that, you know, Jesus, Eric Bogosian is one of the few people I've met in my life that I was, like, genuinely, you know, shitting in my pants. Yeah. I was so excited to meet the guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Eric Bogosian. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I when I first started um, writing a solo show, I did not want to write an autobiographical solo show because I, I there's nothing worse than like self-indulgent. Well, that was know, my next question. You know, bullshit. have you just been keeping notes on thinking one day I'm going to do a... I did not want to do it I need a little personal tragedy to spice up this, <laughs> my no. life story. I didn't want to at all. I fought it so hard. I just wanted to do characters, you know, like different characters, like out of the blue and stuff like that. Um, and I really, really, really fought it. I had this guy that I developed the show with, Matt Hoverman, and he kept pushing me. He's like, what are you talking about? You have all these stories, you know, tell these stories. And then I remember watching John Leguizamo's Freak, and he comes out on stage at the beginning of the show, and he's like, hey, where are all my Latinos at? Like, all the Latinos bark, you know, all my black people, meow, you know. And I was sitting there thinking like, oh, fuck, what am I doing? Nobody's, what am I going to say? All my German, Jew, Germanican, Romanian people that don't know who they're, who they are and what their identity is, fucking howl, you know what I mean? Like, and I was so jealous. I was like, he has this community and nobody's going to be able to connect and what the fuck am I doing? And, um, but I realized through doing this show that um, it's not about that, you know, everybody has this moment in their life where they had this fish out of water moment or identity moment whether it's 
you know, because of a passport or sexual orientation or, you know, how you grew up or, you know, everybody has that moment and it's very universal. So it was great for me to actually commit to doing the autobiographical thing because I learned a lot about um, what people actually connect to and that it's that, you know, being open and real about yourself. And that's really what it is, right? Like, that's what stand-up is too. That's why I think you're so great and your material is so great because you don't just bang out jokes, you know, you bring yourself, you know, and you bring your life and your stories and your personality and you put it out there and it, suddenly you can really connect and you see a person, you know what I mean? Besides laughing, of course you have great punchlines and that's great when people can just bang out punchlines, but for me that's like bigger, you know, when you can see a life and a person and then the jokes are so much more funny because you're connecting to the person, you know, and it's not just about, you know, hitting that spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, where well, you don't learn anything about right. the comedian just banging out jokes. Right, But exactly. before this festival started, when interview questions were coming my way about, you know, and everybody involved in the festival had to do all these little pre-interview things. Right. Whenever I was asked, what is your show about? I would just put failure and humiliation. Yeah. And I mean, because, I mean, that's basically what all comedy is. Mm. But um, like the personal stories I tell about just like some really embarrassing, humiliating things have happened to me. That's what's so great about your show is just like the total honesty about just some uh, crazy life shit that happened. Like you having the affair, I won't ruin the, the your, <laughs> your plot line, but... You know, I, I really identified with, you know, you, you you went to Zurich, you took the train to go see this guy, and, uh, you know, um, you know it's going to be trouble or it's going to end. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a risk for love, basically. Yeah. And you go to Zurich to see this guy where um, there was this Jewish girl in Romania who had written me these, like, staggering emails she had seen my first comedy central special i told you the story yeah and just uh told me what i wanted to hear at the time i was right. lonely and just you are a modern laugh preacher man <laughs> all these like words just hypnotized me right and i went to vienna to see this girl and it just didn't turn out at all the way it was supposed to be so i mean like that point in your show where like you get off the train in zurich and like, and I was originally supposed to meet this girl in Berlin and I was standing on the platform with flowers and she never showed up. I mean, that it's so vulnerable and, and humiliating to mm -hmm. like admit this kind of thing that you, you did this thing and this created this big mess in your life. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's what I think most actresses wouldn't do or, or most people, most even performers what puts you on a different level that you would be so honest about your life and not worry about oh being judged of you know we're not going to give her that part god she did whatever <laughs> yeah i mean i always say like i really have no filter i think that's like probably a big new york thing you know people always say new yorkers are unfriendly i don't think that's true at all they just are real and honest you know most new yorkers i guess but um, I, I never have like a filter. If somebody's bullshitting me, I just have to say it. You know, I can't not be like, okay, I cannot call out bullshit. So um, that for me, I know that some people, and I always look at the audience, and especially here, because I've had a lot of older people, and you don't know who these people are here. You know, you can't gauge at all. Like, are they from Edinburgh? Are they super conservative? Are they artsy people that are here for the festival? You have no idea, right? Like in New York, you kind of know, or in the States where, depending on where you are, you know kind of what your audience is. Um, and so I always kind of try to catch like people's expressions when I go into the um, nasty, incestuous <laughs> love affair with my aunt's boyfriend, spoiler alert. Um, you gave it away. Uh, but, um, 
But yeah, I think that though, that's what I've learned too, that, you know, people respond to being honest and open about it and everybody's fucked up in their yeah. life and everybody's done that's some That's what I'm bullshit. saying. And then you, get, when you realize you know? when you, later in your life and you look back on your parents, you're like, well, they weren't that bad. Yeah. And I never, I've never been interested in like uh, making myself look good. You know what I mean? I have, I maybe should uh, uh, learn that more. <laughs> But that's never, that's when it, for me, gets self-indulgent, becomes self-indulgent, you know, and that's, like, my biggest fear. Like, oh, my God, being self-indulgent, people sitting there and thinking, like, what the fuck is she talking about? Who cares? You know, like, she's just, like, going on about her life. So, um, and that also from Freak and Eric Bogosian and stuff, you, I, you know, you learn that, that those are the, like, gems in there. Those are the things that, you know, uh, create, like, dimensions, right? Because, like I said, everybody has that corpse in their fucking closet. You know, like Eddie Murphy in his, in Delirious, he talks about, um, he talks about that. But everybody has that corpse, and so I think putting it out there is, like, liberating for the audience, right? Because they see somebody talking about it, and they can connect to it, and... Like you said, it gives perspective, right, on your own life and your family's life where you think, okay, yeah, everybody's got that fucked up story. And there's more than that, but <laughs> it's just an hour show. <laughs> but that's why that line where he says, you know, uh, let's be crazy and think about the consequences later, you know, yeah. I say like, yeah, he had me there because... That's kind of that thing where you're like, oh, fuck it. You know, I know this is wrong, but let's be wrong. And then, you know, and then see what happens. Um, and that those are the things that make you grow and make you know what what's up and how how to handle life. And so in a way, I'm glad it happened. Um, no one respects the flame like the fool that's badly burnt. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, very poetic. Pete Townsend. <laughs> Sounds Shakespearean. David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're absolutely killing it at this festival. I mean, uh, I, I, how many uh, young guys have fallen in love with you at this festival? Hmm. And no comment. <laughs> They're all you are like the flower that the bees are buzzing around. No. And uh, aside from that, you are getting great reviews from everyone. Um, none as prestigious as the Tom Rhodes Radio Five Star. <laughs> right. But um, it seems like you are just a, you, you, your show's a smash hit over here. Uh, yeah, I've gotten some good reviews. Um, and um, yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess that um, people are uh, fascinated by the story and that that's the thing you know this thing with John Leguizamo being like where are all my Latinos at and me being jealous of that uh, and then that's what the story is kind of about you know embracing the fact that you're that I'm different you know what I mean that there aren't that many German American Romanian Jew Dominican people running who around loved Hitler as a who child. loved Hitler as a child <laughs> so I guess it's just something different you know and people respond to that it's just something that they haven't heard before or a story they haven't heard before and um, and you know I like to perform like very high energy you know yeah you're a brilliant performer uh, I mean it's it's been said very often you know there's brilliant writers as comedians but they're terrible performers right and then there's mediocre writers as Poor performers comedian. but they're great you know right. uh, I, I, I love your show you're nailing it thank you so much and this festival is so intense yeah and I came here to investigate years ago in the one reason I was always apprehensive about doing it is you see people because it's a long month and you're on stage every night with one or two nights off yeah. if you're lucky. And I've seen brilliant performers just stressed, looking like shit. And this festival can seems it could go either way. Mm. Like I'm loving this month. Mm. You know, That's I've it. had a few stiff shows, but overall yeah. I've gotten good reviews. I haven't looked, but I've heard. <laughs> You know, because um, I don't want you know I don't want I don't want there to be fist holes in the rented apartment where I'm staying. Uh, but I mean, like, wow, when it's when it's a nice experience, yeah. uh, this festival is wonderful. And then, like, you know, making friends with you and different yeah. performers around the the little beehive. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about for me, at least. Uh, I mean, I'm having a great time too, and um, 
And sure, you know, getting good reviews is awesome. And of course, that makes you happy and, and, um, and is a nice little cherry on top. And I don't know if I would be getting panned. I'd probably be in a bad mood more often. But um, Yeah, it'd be a whole different festival. It probably would be. But on the <laughs> other hand, um, like you said, like meeting people and, and, and seeing so many shows, it's just so inspiring, you know. And everything you see, even if it's something that you don't connect to or you don't actually love you learn something from it, you know, and you see so many people doing so many different, doing the same thing in so many different ways, you know, and breaking the form and not breaking it, but still being great. And, and, you know, you, it's so inspiring and just like, uh, incredible because it's like an intense, you know, uh, month of, it's like a boot camp in a way you know what I mean yeah. and you run around and it's also really interesting because it's so challenging you know you figure out like oh my god there's 3,500 shows and yeah okay you have a PR person whatever you're getting press whatever whatever but at the end of the day you're on the street you know you're handing out flyers you're seeing like what can you do people play music people do performances they're on stilts they're fucking painting their faces you know like and it's just like really like fires up all your neurons in your brain, you know, and and um, and just reminds you also to keep trying out new shit. And that's what I really think is great about this festival because it really challenges you to come here and bring like your A game yeah. in terms of imagination, you know, not in terms of like perfection or bringing like the you know great commercial success but really you know going like even with my show seeing other shows i'm like damn like my my shit is so still can go so many places and for my next show you know like there's so many ways to start the show and there's so many ways to tell jokes or to to um use a space and to use lights and to use the audience it's yeah for me it's just like uh like like a big fat muse sitting there you know giving you all this inspiration and firing you up and then meeting other performers and you know this one comedian said and I love that he was like I love coming here I've been coming here for 20 years and I I've been here with small shows with big shows but I come every year because it's the one month out of the year where the performers are the normal people and the civilians everybody else are the weirdos you know <laughs> wow. and that's so true because you really feel like in this big fat family and there's a little bit of competition whatever that's cool too you know yeah but meeting you meeting other people that just inspire you so much and and give you so much it's just that's for me that's what it's all about uh, rainbows and ponies <laughs> i agree no and then seeing all these shows like you said i mean it's putting fuel and energy into my performances and stuff and uh, and then meeting you, you inspired me to do a few extra stories that I thought maybe were a little too ribald for an arts festival, you know, because you had seen my show and you came back and I was like, wow, shit, I want to throw in a couple extra things. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, like you said, just it's, it's inspiring. Yeah. There's so much great stuff happening here. Yeah, it's really, really, really amazing. I'm really happy that I came. It's... Um, Really expensive, but <laughs> worth every oh, dime, yeah. I think, for sure. Do you think you would want to do more festivals? Because uh, as an actress, that really that takes away from your going after movie television parts and stuff, right? Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Not, not like a circuit of festivals, of fringe festivals, I guess. I wouldn't want to just, you know, play all the festivals because... It is a big money commitment, time commitment, and, you know, at the end of the day, you also have to see what you want to kind of get out of it for yourself and for your show, and um, I, so I'll do a few other festivals, I think, um, but but not a whole ton, but I think I'll be back next year. I want to, I'm starting right, to think about a new show. A new show. Great. Yeah, yeah. Wow. to bring here, for sure. How many one-person shows do you think you have in you? <laughs> 386 I'm just putting it out there I have another one called Crimea Liver that I'm developing that I'm supposed to do <laughs> at, um, at this free space next week three times oh. which is just characters um, but but I think I have a few more in me and I want to try yeah there's some stuff that I want to that I still want to touch on 
and I want to come up with a whole new hour to come back here, but I think it'll probably take me a few years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very impatient. <laughs> I want to be like, I just want to fucking, I also work like backwards, you know, this show it only exists because I applied to a bunch of small festivals in New York. I had like 20 minutes of it written. And I had this workshop performance that I sent in and then I got accepted and I was on vacation and it was like <laughs> my performances were scheduled like a month later and I was like, oh, okay, shit, I have to write a show now. So I, I need those tight deadlines to get me working. I think if I just had three years to write a show, I'd probably wait two years and 333 <laughs> days <laughs> to write it, you know. But yeah, so I think I have a few more solo shows in me for sure. Great. Well, I uh, I can't wait for you to film this and yeah. seal it for eternity, posterity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then you and I have so many just strange connections, you know. Like I, I just related so much to you going to Zurich and then and then just going to Germany to you know uh, yeah. pursue your dream, and then. Um, you go to the island of Rhodes yeah. in Greece, yeah. and then you fall in love with Odysseus. Odysseus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which okay. you know, um, <laughs> I uh, I had a big thing with the island of Rhodes. I've been there twice. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I you know. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Rhodes is a really special place for me too. And you're going there when the festival ends. Yeah, that's I'm a going. great way to reward oh, yourself. Nice. Yeah, I need that. Oh, Pulling wait. olives off the tree. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Riding donkeys, you know. Um, Odysseus has a scar on his forehead. Like me. Like you. A little. Oh, actually, it's in the same exact place. It's right here. No! You guys can see. Yeah, it's crazy. It's right there. I thought yours was up here, but mm -mm. it's in the same exact place. And he has it from falling off a donkey when he was six years old. <laughs> And I'll never forget, once we were at a party in New York and all these hood hoodie guys were there and um, they were freaking out because he calls himself Odie in, in New York because he thinks people can't pronounce Odysseus. So they were all like, yo, Odie, Odie, my nigga, yo, 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 what's that scar from? And Odie was like, oh, I, uh, I, fall, off a, I fall off a donkey. Yo, they went and they were like, yo, yo, son, this motherfucker fell off a donkey, son. Oh my God, yo, Odie, son. Yo, one day we'll go to Greece, man. Yo, we'll ride donkeys, son. I can't believe that this motherfucker has a scarf from falling off a fucking donkey. <laughs> they were going nuts. Like, these fucking kids from East Flatbush, New York, like a donkey. They've never seen a donkey in their life, you know? So funny. But, um, but yeah, so Rose is a super special place for me because I fell in love with Odie there. And um, I'm a big believer in this, like you know, and in, in love, you know, and I remember asking my mom, I was 17 when I met him, so we didn't actually start getting together until a little bit after that, but I asked my mom, I was like, how many, and my mom and my dad were there, I was like, how many times in life do you feel this way about someone? How many times has that happened to you? And my dad, of course, was like, never. <laughs> <laughs> Still waiting. Yeah, and my mom was like, um, once, or Maybe twice, but for me once, you know? And for me, he was like the greatest man. Like I had him on a pedestal. And I remember we, were, we always would talk on the phone, New York to Rhodes. And um, he was like, I will marry you one day, Lucy. One day I will marry you. Not now, maybe in three, four years, but not now. And um, we kept in touch and stuff. And he was always the greatest guy for me. And then I had that affair with that, you know, awful dude, Fabian. And I went to Greece every year and I saw him and, and then that year after the affair, I met up with him and we were hanging out and I was like, ugh, what the fuck? Like, I can't even talk to this guy. He doesn't even speak English. Like, why did I like him so much? This is so boring. I don't want any men. I don't want to be in love at all. You know, I was like heartbroken. I just want a lover in every country in the world, <laughs> you know, like I don't want any of that. And then we were hanging out and two weeks later, I fell in love with him all over again. And we've been together ever since. Aww. But so Rhodes is such a special place for me, you know. Um, it just is a magical island. I love that place. And you guys have to come 
when we're there. And one day, one day on your own, you have to swim naked the length of Rhodes yeah. Harbor and back. I've, I've sw- <laughs> I, I swam naked in, in different parts of Rhodes, but never in the yeah, harbor. Yeah, that's probably the most populated part <laughs> yeah. of the island. I probably totally. should have found a better spot. <laughs> but I don't think they mind. <laughs> the Greeks are very chilled out people. Um, but that place is very magical. It's magical for my parents, too, and... Um, we've spent so much time there. The first time we went there, I was six, and um, uh, the, the people that own a house there, which is the reason why we, we went there in the first place, always tell the story where they came over, and I opened the door, and I was six, and I said, Psh, my dad is thinking. <laughs> <laughs> The perfect daughter. (laughs) What is the greatest advice you've ever been given as an actress or performer? Or actor, right? I think the greatest advice that I've, I have, I wasn't given it by a person, given this by a person, but I think my mantra is always imagination rules the world. That's for me, you know, you can, imagination is the most important thing on earth and um, you you can do anything and everything with it, you know, if you use your imagination. So as an actor, I think that's very important and in life that's very important. And um, so that's what I kind of live by. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know, as an actor, I mean, good advice is always, you know, just do your fucking thing and don't give a shit. Or that sentence that my dad always says, nothing is good or bad, your thinking makes it so. You know? Shakespeare. Or David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lucy, you've been one of the highlights of this festival for me. Thank love you your so show. Much. Love you as a person. Uh, love hanging out with you and your brain and everything. <laughs> so, uh, in closing, is there any words of wisdom or advice that you have for the people of the earth? Uh, no, have fun, live your life, have, you know, embrace everything there is, take it all in, be sad, be happy, and, um, don't try to, um, put yourself in any boxes, be just what you are, even if you don't know who that is. Beautiful. (laughs) All right, Lucy Paul, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Long may you run, sister. (laughs) Long may you run. Grazie.